This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, 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 ho. Christmas is behind us. Oh, it's always Christmas here in Christmas, Greater Christmasville. Yes, but 2020 is almost behind us, which I would say is the more important <laughs> declaration. Yeah, but I'm not taking yes. down these decorations till I have a vaccination. It's the decoration vaccination uh, conundrum. Okay, now your your decorations were modified this year. Is that correct? Greater Christmasville did not take its exact previous form. That's right, because I didn't want to have people delivering the tree in the house so i got those new trees which everybody has surely seen by now and if not they should go to my uh greater christmasville facebook page and uh you know like me for god's sake don't you like me don't you like christmas what's wrong with you um and you can see pictures of uh my continuing exploits and uh nothing succeeding quite like excess here in greater christmasville Indeed. But yeah, we had now, fairy trees this year. Now, I, I need to check in with you about something else, and it's not exactly Christmas related, but as I understand it, and I understand it because I was present for it, um, a former TDPS, well, a current TDPS correspondent who is not usually included on this podcast, made an appearance on our last episode, and he goes by the name of Jordan Ampersand, and I just yes. want to make sure that you're okay because Jordan's appearances never go over very well for you. Well, you know, as long as he remains in the rearview mirror, I'll mm. be fine. We've had all the locks changed, and it really was, you know, retro. It was us looking back at uh, times. It, it's sort of like how we're going to treat this year, 2020, in just a few <laughs> days, when we're finally fucking through with it. It'll be something that was horrible that happened, but it makes us feel better about where we are now because it happened mm -hmm. in the past and not because it's currently happening, like, you know, it is currently. Well, yeah, then that's right. And, and Jordan will be back in a few weeks. But we don't have to talk about that right now or the fact that I made a commitment to him without talking to you first. But but we will we'll deal with it in time. And it's fine. And everything's going to be fine because everything is always fine here at the TDPS network. So long as I pretend to do everything that Eric says while working my own agenda secretly behind the scenes. And is at his house a safe distance away from me. <laughs> socially safely distanced <laughs> too far to throw a slipper at is where i remain during this That's coronavirus correct. pandemic so Vicious today, slipper throwing that, that, i just want to give out the topic for today's episode i know we have something else we want to talk about first but today is about the best of the worst so later on we are going to count down our top five favorite things about what was possibly the worst year um, we've ever oh my god through. right yeah I mean it's always about looking on the bright side but yeah it was 
it was a year of stuff I really didn't like. So, yeah, yeah, it is nice to be arriving at a place where we can begin to make lists of the things. And, you know, it's good to keep those things in mind. If you're mm-hmm. only thinking about the stuff you hate, then that's your whole life. Absolutely. And that's Eric Sharquin's maxim for living. I don't know if that's the right use of the word maxim. I'm not talking about the magazine with swimsuit models. Dictum, guiding principle, ideology, none of those words feeling in, in entirely quite right. But um, gratitude, looking on the bright side, that's what we're going to do later. But we have a little bit of darkness (laughs) we want to talk about first. Uh, We watched a documentary which is currently featured on HBO Max. This isn't going to be a true crime TV club, but we wanted to touch on this because we both saw it. And it is called Crazy Not Insane. And Eric, you're... yeah, you're really the one who noticed it first and suggested we check right? it out. Right, so. I mean, it seemed really interesting, and it's one of those cases where, you know, I want to speak to the people who made the trailer. There's nothing wrong with the episode, but it, uh, with the documentary, but it is very much not what the trailer is about. Mm-hmm. The trailer, we were intrigued with it because the trailer really sort of set it up. Here it is. Here's this psychologist who in this long storied career or psychiatrist, I guess, um, yes. has interviewed all of these 22 different serial killers and has, and that apparently is true, but it was really a documentary about her and her views about, um, the causes of, uh, people who do murder and, uh, are violent and whatever she was, which is fascinating, and there was nothing wrong with it, but it was not really about the crimes. It was about mm-hmm. the psychiatry, um, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like also about not, um, you know, it was uh, it was a it took a real point of view on capital punishment and right. uh, the fact that we are killing people for being insane, um, yeah, or being mentally challenged in different ways, mentally ill. Um, she was not in favor of letting people out of prison, but she was trying to move us past maybe killing people for being stupid or, um, mentally ill, which I think is kind of a positive humanity. If you're not going to get rid of it altogether. Right. Uh, you know, I think some of the trailer that you saw initially really played up her involvement in the Ted Bundy case. Obviously, he's one of the most famous serial killers right. in, in history. That's really bunched up at the very end of what's a pretty solid two-hour documentary. Yeah. So if you're looking for a Ted Bundy doc, this ain't it. However, I will say I was very pleased with the fact that she put a stake right through the heart of Bundy's 11th hour attempt to blame pornography for his hideous crimes. Oh, my crimes. God. Um, which <laughs> she actually always... laughed at the yeah. at the notion that said there's some idiot. What was the guy's name who said you would be you'd do be- more to um, getting rid of pornography would do more to save lives than um, uh, getting rid of assault, assault rifles. Weapons. Yeah, it was like that yeah, was part to the people at the Las Vegas concert. I'm sure. Oh, right. Would... That was Park Dietz, who was a very venerated forensic psychiatrist for years, said that in a television interview with Bryant Gumbel. Not, that has not aged well. And Dorothy, who is the subject of the doc- documentary, I believe it's Dorothy Ottenow, says, um, if that were true, it's the thing that I always say, it's the thing that you can say about violent movies or violent video games. You have to come up with an explanation for why the vast majority of people who came into contact with the thing did not go out and commit violent 
murders. Right. She said it's, we would just be overrun with serial killers if that was actually the cause. She said that's right. like what she talks about is medically what actually is the cause, which is, like I say, a fascinating component of the um, of the documentary. It's just simply not a true crime documentary, despite the fact that they kind of position it that way. Yeah, when they're I'm, they're selling it. Uh, she was. I don't want to say champion. Champion's not necessarily the right word. She was. Uh, her area of expertise or her area of study was really dissociative personality disorder, which remains very controversial. And Park Dietz is presented as one of those who just completely dismisses the idea out of hand to this day and claims that the psychiatrist is always in those cases prompting the subject to invent these personalities. They're cueing the personalities. I, you know, that's really not, I don't care what Park Dietz has to say. Um, her belief is that, like, she sets up, I think it was like a trio of factors that can create this disorder. Right. And it, she doesn't think it's always the, uh, the dissociative personality disorder, but she right. also saw that profound childhood trauma and yeah. uh, uh, frequently accompanied with actual brain trauma actual mm -hmm. um uh, damage to the 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 frontal cortex but the brain in general um right and, and uh that combined with the potentiality for um the, the alters as she called them the um the dissociative personalities disorder um right she, she sort of says that, that it, I, I think this is pretty well known, and she's probably the reason for putting this out there, that the personalities are developed early in life. She calls them alters uh, to like they're an escape valve from the abuse. They're like the person goes into a third person perspective on their own life, on their own hideous physical trauma that they're being subjected to and creates this personality that remains as a as a coping mechanism. Um Okay, like I'm will I'm willing to accept that belief and and and, but I think her where she goes from that and where it turns into really a piece about the death penalty is that you can learn more from keeping these prisoners alive and studying them than you. That's can That's what from she said them. about Ted. She said, "I'm right. sorry that they killed him because he would have really been valuable for us to study, so that right. we could understand." Because one of the things she debunks is the myth that he was raised in this sort of ideal, wonderful childhood that nothing right. could have been further from the truth. They, he was abused even in the womb. His mm -hmm. mother took medication to abort him and it didn't take like his right. abuse began before he was even born and then mm -hmm. continued pretty significantly through his life. And she presented some really compelling um, evidence that he was probably um suffering from the dissociative disorder as well. His frequent claims that he had not committed the crimes at all, um, signing letters with a different name than his own. You know, mm -hmm. there's a whole series of sort of suggestive. Again, she didn't have as much time with him as she did with other um, patients, but it was, it was really, it was interesting. She, she really sort of put a pin in the whole notion of him and his, um, participating in um, nonsensical kinds of uh, stories in and around who he was and what were the causes. As you pointed out, the that ridiculous pornography nonsense that uh, well, and, and somehow looking the, at pornography caused him right. to be Right, and they, they also interviewed an aunt who said, um, 
you know, when he was, I think, three, either three years old or in third grade. I'm, you know, may have got the two confused in my head. He showed up at the door of her bedroom holding all of the kitchen knives, and he went to her bed and placed them in the comforter around her. Now, this is when he's presumably at such a young age that he's not consuming a lot of pornography, most of which was apparently Torrid Detective magazines early earlier on that apparently his grandfather owned or something yes. like that. So the, the, tilt, the tendency towards psychosis, which she cites as one of the factors, has to be there. I think, um, while I'm not really going to shed a lot of tears for Ted Bundy, I think there's something to be said based on what I know about the case primarily from watching other documentaries that that everything we saw him do in the last years of his life was about trying to get out of being executed even the interview with James Dobson of all people about where he blamed the pornography was again about trying not to be executed it was all James of this performance Dobson. and so you wonder what Ted would have turned into as a potential area of study if if execution was off the table and he was just spending life in prison and he didn't have anybody to impress anymore if he didn't have any agenda to work if he could have just stay alive in jail yeah right exactly and because he wasn't stupid i mean there was no sense of that right he seemed to be clever Mm -hmm. um but yeah he but he was definitely not somebody who'd had a great um, idyllic childhood and for no apparent reason other than having seen playboy magazine he became a violent serial killer I just um, think it's so. If you really I, you want know, to get the, yeah, yeah, James Dobson, is there one? Is there oh, a horrible maybe. thing that you're not a part of? Um, I mean, really. In, in case you don't know who we're talking around? about, James Dobson, I think, is very much still around. He's not quite the political figure he was previously, but he is. He was the first really uh, prominent evangelical political activist, I would say. He started focus on the family, and he was absolutely pivotal in the fight against gay marriage and particularly the passage of proposition eight here in california which reversed the court decision legalizing it he's not a man i can speak of with a lot of kindness or um compassion i mean uh, compassion maybe if something terrible happens his heart god bless his heart as they'd say in the south where we're both from um i so just because we are kind of film nerds, a question about the structure of this documentary, a cho- an artistic choice they made. I wanted your opinion on Eric Sharquin. <laughs> so there, Dorothy, the subject, is very telegenic and, and very witty. And then when they go into the passages from her book, which I imagine is the focus of the whole documentary, it's the spine, they have her voice, they have her begin to read them, and then Laura Dern's voice takes over. Did you feel that was a necessary choice? You know, I think given who she was, like they said in the in a very kind way, one of her associates said she is not a linear person, <laughs> which made her a bad uh, witness. On she the was stand. apparently a terrible expert witness. She, um, they tried to use her in court cases, and she simply. Just her mind doesn't work in a linear kind of way and court really works in a linear kind of way. And Mm -hmm. it was not a good marriage, not a happy marriage. And so I think that that was probably a part of the choice. Also, she, you know, wasn't like she had the best voice of all. It reminded me of the uh, the Andy McDowell, Lord of Greystoke um, uh, (laughs) story from from many years ago where they dubbed her entire performance with the voice of Glenn, of Glenn close. close, but Glenn didn't close. tell her. 
Yeah. Um, Crazy Not Insane. It's on HBO Max or HBO if you subscribe to either one. If you're an HBO subscriber, allegedly you're allowed to sign up for HBO Max, although at last count, not many of you have, and that's a problem for their business model. (laughs) They should try making it available to more people. Absolutely. Who am I? What do I know? All right. And next up, we will be bringing you the best of the worst. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Okay, and now, as promised, we will be bringing you the best of the worst. These are our top five favorite all been things. Waiting with bated breath for from what the we enjoyed from this horrible year from hell. Well, you, you, you I, I don't know if we didn't say this in advance. Why I oughta to the moon, Alice. Um, you can't say that shit anymore. How did they get away with that? Oh, wait, it was the 40s. Anyway. And beating your wife was actually a popular pastime. Yeah, thank God that's not true anymore. Thank I God we have not. moved on from that being a punchline. Anyway. Um, but you know what punchline comes from? Oh, God. Is that true? Yeah, oh Punch God. and Judy was a, it's a, was a show about... Spousal abuse. That was the that's the givens of he goes around hitting people with the stick, his punch oh lines. Oh my god. Comedy is so violent. We're, we're, this is turning into an episode about the violent misogynistic origins of all comedy. We're not gonna do that because it's not one of our favorite things about this terrible year. No, but I wanna say that's this. just a terrible thing in general, though. It wasn't exciting, necessarily though. just about twenty twenty. This is what makes this exciting, is that we did not limit ourselves at all. We're not just counting down our top five favorite books or movies or television shows. This is Eric Shaw Quinn said, there shall be no restrictions. It could be our favorite brand of toilet paper that we were finally able to buy after months of not knowing where our next role was going to come from. So today is like anything goes. This is anything. <laughs> and so rather than presenting my top five, I'm just going to passive aggressively criticize Eric's top five because that's how friendship works. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I have five. I just th- thought I'd set you up for some ridicule. Oh, okay. Here. I just thought, well, yeah. that sounds like another terrible aspect of this year, which isn't over <laughs> yet. <laughs> I'm trying to jam them all in. I'm going to burp a few more times before the podcast is over, I too. I see. The burp filter is on, is it? The I hope. The burp um, filter is on. Okay. So how do you want to okay. do this? You want to each do one and then work our way... Starting from five to one, or did you rank them, or how did you do this? I, I would like you to sound a little bit more excited about it all, to be frank. It sounds like we've interrupted your nap over there. This is an important list that we're about I'm to present. I'm sorry. The, did you not know that I wouldn't be up at this time doing a podcast <laughs> if you hadn't called? 
we like to record our podcast at the crack of noon so that we yeah. get Eric when he's at his most caffeinated and freshly out of bed. <laughs> Actually, I'm not that caffeinated yet. So. Okay. Um, yeah, let's alternate. You do one and then I'll do one. But you go first because I know you prefer it that way. Okay. So we're going to start from our from five and work our way up to our number one most favorite. Yes. Okay. So as five, I chose um, streaming television as my oh. number five favorite thing. I've always enjoyed it, but like, oh my God, I think it's probably saved uh, as much li- as many lives as remdesivir. Like how many people mm-hmm. would have killed their family members had it yeah. not been for Netflix and streaming TV? And to that end, I want to shout out to... Um, uh, Dead Still, which was genius, and on, I believe, Acorn, Mm -hmm. The Great, which was magnificent. Those are my two favorite television shows of the year. Also, The Crown, and I discovered Vera in a real way, also on Acorn, I think, as a result of streaming. But yeah, streaming TV, I really count. I really, like enjoyed it in a way that I had never really enjoyed. It's always been a great convenience and something that I've been fond of, but my God, mm-hmm. would this have been possible? You know, the internet, I guess, is a broader sort of um, appreciation, like all of the shopping, all of my groceries, all of my medication, everything that I've managed to accomplish, I did through the internet, but cer- certainly a big source of my entertainment. So I picked um, as my number five streaming television. Well, look at you. That was a thing that was also about three or four other things because we slipped some names of shows in there. But that's fine because we make the rules here on our own podcast. And Yeah, um, like I, those yeah. were the shows that I really enjoyed. But like, oh, my God, I've been watching um, like, oh, God, the the uh, the goes wrong show. Oh, I love the. You recommended that to me. That is, is so funny. Genius. Um, tell people, yeah, tell our listeners what the goes wrong show is, is that about. On Eric Netflix. Shockman. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime, if I'm it's not mistaken, or it's available yeah. for rent or for I purchase think you're right. on Prime. I think it is yeah. Amazon Prime. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is hysterical. Apparently, they did a play called "The Play That Goes Wrong" that was uh, first a hit in uh, London and then later in New York, and it's the same creators have made. Um, at least one season so far. I hope that it will be something that continues uh, of a show called The Goes Wrong Show. And it's about an amateur theatrical group. I guess they're amateurs. <laughs> they seem pretty amateurish. Theatrical group um, in a regional theater in England doing a televised version of stage plays. And the plays are just not quite baked and so something inevitably goes wrong and one thing leads to another and they are hysterical if you've ever seen a play called noises off which i was in many years ago um it is that sort of school it is not as it is not as fully wrought as that it's just a half an hour of just hysterical um theatrical catastrophes if you've ever done theater or been in any sort of amateur theater i think you can't help but find it hysterical it's very funny very funny okay so i'm going to do my number five now i was a bit more specific with this one but it was probably mank and i realized that is not a universally held opinion mank is the new netflix movie from david fincher which is about allegedly and this is also a controversial opinion 
the quote-unquote real writer of the movie Citizen Kane, uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who was played by Gary Oldman. I'm a huge fan of David Fincher. This was a black and white film that was shot to gorgeous. look and even sound like it was made in the 40s. Just gorgeous. It, 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 it purports to explore the politics behind what went into the decision to write Citizen Kane, what went into what got Herman Mankiewicz involved, why he took the approach to um, William Randolph Hearst that he did. Charles Dance gives an unbelievable performance as William Randolph Hearst. As always. Having recently visited Hearst Castle before the pandemic, I can attest to the unbelievable accuracy of the sets on which they filmed. I doubt they filmed at Hearst Castle. It doesn't look as good anymore as it does in the movie, so it would be impossible, I think, for them to capture that. Um, it's about, for, for me, in my opinion, it was about the power of art and popular culture to determine somebody's legacy, which is not always a good thing. Sometimes inaccuracies get enshrined in that way, and I think the movie explores that to a little bit. Um, but it really brought home for me the extent to which we know, or many of us know or believe we know, William Randolph Hearst by way of a movie that does not even... It has, a, it has a substitute for him in the form of another character played by Orson Welles. So I, I really liked it for that reason. I thought a lot of the performances were great. And I love, you know, having developed in Hollywood, having been in Hollywood for a while, there is always this, this is also part of what I love about romance fiction, but there has always been this hostility towards lots and lots of dialogue, stuff being too talky. Your screenplay has to have really tight, tense scenes. And I love any piece that artfully lets its characters talk. Nora Roberts can let her characters talk. You know, this movie lets its characters talk. And I'm particularly when the dialogue you. is spicy. Eric Shaw Quinn knows how to let his characters talk. He's a, he's a master of dialogue, dialogue, if you haven't. Yeah. And I really, um, I really enjoyed it for all of those reasons. Um, did it have its flaws? Absolutely. Not a perfect film. I don't know if I've ever seen a perfect film. Um, but it, it transported me, which, as we were just saying, you know, is what so many of us needed during this year. Yeah, it was really spectacular. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, ha I guess maybe I was. I guess it's about where you come, where you originate from mm -hmm. as you're watching something, particularly something that's purporting to be a retelling of a real story. So I had some. Like I enjoyed it, but it was like, yeah, okay, that's really dramatic. And but the, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't as bought into um, all of the story the way that it was told as um, as you obviously were. But by the same token, I want amazing performances. Gary Oldman, mm -hmm. uh, who? What's the young woman? Uh, Seyfried, uh, Amanda. Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. Uh, Seyfried. Yes, absolutely um, amazing performance for her. amazing performances across the board. Everybody was just yeah. one, and it was just it was so remarkable to look at. And yes, it was. It was like, like I love Perry Mason. You want to you want to talk about talking? They've got two mm -hmm. hours worth of dialogue in every episode. That sort of noir thing of everybody talking really mm -hmm. hard, bitten and really fast, and they keep going and rat a tat tat dialogue and it was all about that it was just it just sparkled and sizzled mm -hmm. on the screen it was great there was so much to be said and so many big speeches and profound thoughts and it was mm -hmm. very dramatic it's like um it's a wonderful life 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was yeah. that kind of dramatic retelling of the story. It was not necessarily told in a modern sort of style. You know, mm-hmm. people weren't mumbling and scratching and ad-libbing. It was a lot of dialogue and a lot of drama. And the characters were drawn pretty big and played pretty big. But it it was part of the style of the piece and really something to see. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so what was your number four, right? That's what we're on? Yes, we, we're, you number, did five? we're down okay. to number four. Um, uh, my number four thing that I've loved during... Um, during uh, the the this terrible, awful, really bad, no good year, um, was the keto diet. Mm. I was at the beginning of the year. I was when I was coming off of Christmas, needed to lose some weight, and I was beginning my um, sort of horrible starva- starving fasting diet um, with this company that sends, um, you know, pre-prepared food products to you and you eat a very sort of controlled diet and they really screwed me over. They sent me this, I made a big order right at the beginning of the pandemic so that I would have things on hand and they just raked stuff into a box. It was like they sent me a box of garbage. I was so angry. I actually wrote to them and said, Mm -hmm. how dare you send me something this haphazardly this completely I mean it was just it was a disaster it was like somebody had just raked stuff into a box off of a table mm-hmm. um, and sent it to me it was beat up and torn up by just by virtue of having been shipped because it was so poorly put together the, the order they never responded to me and it really made me angry and I was not really willing to be starving Mm-hmm. for the entire pandemic and I didn't know it was going to last this long so I'm no. really glad um so I made the decision I switched to um keto diet and um I never gained any weight and then later I actually began losing weight um during the course of the you know so I've lost weight and 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 been eating not, you know, calorie controlled foods. I've been eating olive oil and butter and cheese mm-hmm. and um, steak and whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I lost 15 a- pounds when I did it last year. I didn't do it during the pandemic. But yeah, I, it was the most pronounced weight loss I've ever experienced. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I've combined it yeah. with, um, with uh, what do you call it? Uh, intermittent fasting. So I don't okay. eat until later in the day. But the combination has held me in really good stead. And I'm actually um, at my pre-holiday weight for last year. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But, you know, I'm continuing to do it. I'm hoping that I'll actually be down to weights that I would really, really like to be by the time that I'm um, set free again by the pandemic and the circumstances and herd immunity that I'm looking forward to and the year that I'm hoping will be much, much better than this one that we have just brought to an end. But yeah, keto dieting and then all of the food, all of the cooking and experimenting, experimenting with, um, with, uh, baking with almond flour and, um, coming up with, uh, my, uh, shrimp and grits, my fake shrimp and grits, 
uh, recipe using cauliflower mashed potatoes. And, right. Almond you know, flour really seems to be the portal to keto greatness. It is the substitute for flour, essentially. It's what you can oh. make a variety of things with, right? Oh, my God. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and you know, and so things like macaroni pie um, mm. become possible because of the the almond flour, but yeah, it has really been. But the, and the macaroni is vegetable macaroni. I think you told me it's yeah, not made it's with a, it's, pasta. It's, it's, it's not flour. It's a non-flour pasta. And then the, yeah. the crust of the pie is made out of, but I've also made quiches and, mm-hmm. um, uh, sausage balls and cheese straw and all manner of baked goods, cookies and cake and, uh, cupcakes and yeah, pretty wonderful. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. So what about your number four, Christopher? Okay, well, I'm going to lead up to this. It's, it, it is Okay, so we had a talk, I think, midway through the pandemic about how do you spend a day off, right? We work from home. I was doing a lot of writing. That part was great because it was like suddenly my dream of just being able to stay home and write was realized. But right. on the days off, I was finding myself in kind of worry, anxiety, endless doom scrolling of social media and news headlines. And you were saying you need to get a positive focus, something you can do at home, something that's like a hobby or just recreational that has no end result or stakes attached to it. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I love Sutro Tower. And if you don't know what Sutro Tower is, it's probably a sign (laughs) that you're not that familiar with San Francisco, which is where I was born and grew up for the first 10 years of my life. And Sutro Tower is a giant radio. It's actually, I think, television. It may do radio as well antenna slash tower that sits atop Twin Peaks and is really a landmark. You've probably seen it and you've seen it in film or or television shows set in the San Francisco Bay Area or if you flew in and out of there without even going there, you can see it. It's so big. When I was a child, it was like this lighthouse that stared down over our neighborhood. We lived in the Castro District on uh, 17th and Noe in this gray Victorian and our lives were very kind of, I don't know, rarefied and charmed and bohemian-esque. And so I've always wanted to have things with Sutro Tower on it, like T-shirts. I would love to get a little statuettes and something that I could possibly collect. And I thought, I really got ready for this. Chandelier earrings. Chandelier earrings, a crown shaped like Sutro Tower for my drag performances that never happened. So I, I really thought it was going to take me weeks. Like I was going to have to go to like little niche collector sites. I'm going to say within, I typed in Sutro Tower t-shirts. I ended up on a website called Redbubble. And now Redbubble is technically going to be my fourth favorite Red thing. But Redbubble. Red is, is that an actual thing from the past? No, that's Red That's Robin. just your... That's the Red Robin television commercial. <laughs> I was like, they have a jingle? That's so cool. They could. So, um, they are 
there are other sites that are like Redbubble that are also good. Zazzle is one. But there are places where I guess they're very similar to Etsy, which is not something I've ever dabbled in. But independent artists upload their work and you can get that work, whether it's photography or drawings or logos or whatever, on T-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, wall art that's really sort of mounted for you and easy to hang. And I mean, I within a few minutes, I had like seven Sutro Tower t-shirts headed to my house. A gay pride colored Sutro Tower, a more dramatic fog shrouded one. I just, it was the coolest thing. And there are so many rabbit holes you can go down. You know, like right? I got, I think I'm, no, I'm not wearing one right now, but I got a a Bigfoot t-shirt that was sort of styled like a like old surfers art where it's like a sun where you that they you with a sunset and you'd normally they would have waves in the sunset but instead it's the shadow of Bigfoot from the Gimlin Patterson film walking <laughs> sideways. So that was really Redbubble number 4 for me. Oh, so Redbubble was your Yeah, Redbubble. Yeah, it was really, a slow like lead in. Yeah. I like that. Um. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's fun. Um. What was your number? My three? number three. We're down to number three now. I'm gonna go with um. Non-maltitol sugar-free chocolate. <laughs> the rise of stevia and ethritol, or how do however it's pronounced, swerve, has produced actual. Delicious, wonderful, um, sugar-free chocolate treats that are not, um, that do not produce the creature. Tell us what the creature is, Eric Maltitol is really actually quite tasty and delicious and makes wonderful chocolate, but it has an, a, a really sort of very successful laxative effect. So mm. if you eat... A bunch of, you know, if you eat more than just a taste of something that's been sweetened with maltitol, it it's like you ate a X-Lax candy bar. I'm it is you there is a moment where your stomach is just on. Can you and it do makes, you want to uh, demonstrate the sound for us? Perhaps not with your stomach, but with your mouth and throat. Come on, our no, listeners expect it. it. No, what am I? <laughs> it says no. Your stomach says no. No. I'm not no, even no sure more that I can. I, I never have tried before, but it is this sort of internal gurgling. This just sort of takes off in your stomach, and it's like, uh-oh. You know, you feel like um, uh, John Hurd. Is it John Hurd? Bill Hurd in uh, Alien? Before the little monster comes punching through his stomach. John Hurt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think John Hurt, right. I don't know, because all I can't think of the name, because all I'm thinking of is the alien coming out of his stomach at the stomach, lunch table, yeah, dinner the, table. The, that character, that, it feels like just prior to that happening is yeah. going on. Yeah, so um, recently, um, Russell Stover has a, a whole line that they've done that I've discovered that's really great. And mm -hmm. there's a, a product uh, online called Lily's Chocolates. But there's a whole host of these wonderful sort of sweet products that are being sweetened that not with maltitol. So it has sort of returned sweets to my life. And because of my keto participation and because of all of my online shopping and research, I have had the time to discover all of these wonderful kind of alternatives 
um, that have brought sweets back into my life in a way that is, um, you know, enjoyable without being um, overly productive. So, yeah. So, yeah. So maybe Etheritol is my or uh, Stevia. But Stevia has been around. It's the it's the, really the Etheritol or whatever it's called um, that that where they have really found a way to cook with it and produce um, a lot of product. So, yeah. So that's my number three. What about yours, Christopher? That's very moving, Eric Sharquin. Or it's not very moving. Ha ha ha. Yes. I, I would just like to point out that in the absence of the natural state of this podcast, despite the amount of time we spend talking about true crime, uh, seems to be diet and nutrition. That seems to be where we always kind of inevitably end up if we just chat. Well, and, you know, as I pointed out um, in the pandemic, everybody like, you know, when you when you feed a dog his dinner, like it's the most exciting thing that's probably going to happen during yes. the course of his day. Yes. And so you can see it in the way that the dog reacts to dinner being served. But in the pandemic, we're all kind of like dogs trapped at home, like with nothing much to do. And so dinner has become a much bigger deal. Um, yes. But because I have been experimenting with cooking in this new way, I have, I have to say, had a more sort of, uh, discovery kind of year in terms of eating. When you're just eating prepackaged, low calorie, controlled fasting diet products, it's fine, but it doesn't create the kind of joy that macaroni pie might. Absolutely. Also, the other thing, I, I saw somebody tweet this. I don't know who it was. I wish I could give them credit. I will not take credit for it. Um, there are two types of days in the pandemic, days when packages come and days when packages don't come. That's really true. Yeah. Uh, okay, my number three, I looked back over everything I read this year because I read a lot of books because I had a lot of time to, but I, I normally read a lot. And I read mostly escapist stuff. I'm a big romance fan, so I read a lot of that. I read a lot of reliable titles from my typical favorite author. So I was looking for something that kind of jumped out at me. Or, or I was looking at something where the quality of it was so high, I was able to weather its darker elements during kind of a dark time. And I, I found a book that I read earlier in the year, right after the pandemic started, by an author named David Hewson, who is not as well known here in the States as he should be. He's pretty widely distributed and well known in Europe. He wrote some novelizations of the original, I believe, the Danish version of <clears throat> The Killing, uh, that were published over there. He's he's from the UK. I think he's lived extensively in Italy. He's got a series set there called the Nick Costa Mysteries. He wrote a book set on the Faroe Islands called The Devil's Fjord. That's F-J-O-R-D. That is um, I, I, an incredibly well-executed, atmospheric, I don't know if small town mystery is the right word for it. I know for a while they called them regional mysteries, where... The vibe is similar to the television show Broadchurch, although this setting is way more uh, impoverished and um, brutal. It's a more brutal, harsher setting than the town in the television show Broadchurch. And um, it is, it's got all the classic ingredients. It's got the police detective who is retired to find a quieter life in the country. We oh, all know how that is. Yeah. The kiss of death. yeah. <laughs> right? um, it opens with something 
that is actually quite disturbing, but is that is real. It is a ceremony that's observed. I'm not sure if it's observed outside of the Faroe Islands. If you don't know where the Faroe Islands are, they're kind of in the ocean in the middle, uh, in between Scandinavia and Iceland. They're, they're pretty remote. They're rugged, but they've got a, a sort of a city that's a capital or a town, I should say, and they've got several... Uh, interconnected islands. It's sort of like Hawaii without that lovely climate, with the opposite climate. Um, what if, what if Hawaii was a complete nightmare? What if Hawaii was frigid and had brutal, unforgiving winters? At the start, before each winter, they observe a ceremony there called the grind, which is pretty horrific, and it is when they use boats to drive pods of whales up onto the beach. And essentially slaughter them by hand. Yeah. And the the point is they are storing up food and other ingredients, byproducts of the whales for winter. And the controversy and the different perspectives on this ceremony, because it is government sanctioned, it is regulated, is how the book opens and it's how he sort of opens up all the sort of – ironies and the brutality of this place and the old world versus the new world and the whatever. And there is uh, a disappearance related to the ceremony that ultimately becomes the focus of this book. But I had never read anything on the set on the Faroe Islands before. I didn't know much about the Faroe Islands. I stumbled across them by mistake on YouTube. Um, they are, and, and so and uh, uh, technically this is Nordic crime fiction which is its own drama it's like the 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 Faroe Islands are a little branch off of the coast of Norway um I believe the islands are Danish but I forgot to research that point I think they have over the years changed hands or been their own territory and whatever anyway The Devil's Fjord by David Hewson if you like if you can manage to read anything dark and gritty and edgy right now I highly recommend it I think he's a very talented writer and he's definitely somebody I will be reading again Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Good recommendation. So we're now, this is your number two. Right. <laughs> number two. <laughs> is it going to be about mob duty. <laughs> <laughs> we're four. <laughs> we're losing our minds, okay? We're allowed to revert back to peaceful right? times We've in our childhood. inside, uh, and it's whatever. And so I'm going to... Um, Stay in keeping with the theme, and uh, my uh, number two second favorite thing of the year of the this terrible, horrible, no good year is bacon wrapped chicken. Bacon wrapped. <laughs> Eric has food. I saw on the brain. I saw online this recipe of um, somebody making. You know, I've been looking for uh, foods to make because I've been cooking for myself. There's been no going out or anything. So, um, and I saw this recipe, this video recipe of somebody making bacon wrapped. Actually, they use chicken thighs, but I don't eat chicken thighs. So, bacon wrapped chicken breast. Um, and I thought, well, that's what an interesting thought. I, I wonder if I could replicate that. And they. They did a version that maybe was a little more um, like barbecue kind of uh, thing than, than I did. They added brown original, sugar, yeah, right? Brown yeah, sugar you took that out. I didn't mm-hmm. do any of that sort of stuff. Um, I just basically took um, chicken breast, cut it up, although getting chicken tenderloins is, chicken breast tenderloins is easier and the same process. And then you roll it up 
in a strip of uncooked bacon, put it in a skillet and put the, the an iron skillet and put the iron skillet in the oven for half an hour and it's the best thing I've ever like I've eaten more bacon wrapped chicken breast because the the chicken breast I, I like chicken breast but it's a little dry and a little it's not the most flavorful thing but wrapped in bacon mm-hmm. it becomes infused with this wonderful sort of um, delicious uh, juiciness from the bacon that it doesn't uh, necessarily possess and so it becomes this delicious one like a couple of those it's like a it's like a large hors d'oeuvre a couple of those in a salad and you've got a great dinner and it has it has been i'm going to say my staple go-to meal christopher has now started making it i've begun i've developed converts i believe my sister is making it um for my parents it's it's so easy and you can make enough for like several days meal if you're just eating for one um right so and, yeah and don't forget the... and shout out to macaroni pie like macaroni yeah. pie was one hell of a discovery but but yeah, don't forget rest... the best tip because i got it wrong the first time i made it and you reminded me that you need to make sure the ends of the bacon meet on the other underside of the chicken after uh, you roll it so that yeah. it cooks together against the skillet right so that it yeah so that they kind of fuse up so that it becomes like a a little a, a an enormous rumaki or canapé or whatever with the uh yeah you put the loose end against the skillet part and you don't put it against the sc- side of the skillet because it'll stick yeah. um absolutely yeah. but oh my god yeah that was really that was a major discovery that is a new favorite sort of um food and has provided you know practical nourishment um and is also really easy to uh cook Okay. So that's my number so that, two. What was your number two, Christopher Rice? Uh, my number two is a joint entry, and I would say one led to the other for me. It was a book, again, but it was a nonfiction, science-based, I'm not going to call it self-help because I don't think it falls under that category. It was called Breath, or Breathe, I should say, by James Nestor. It was a popular oh, yeah. book this year. It was about the science of breathing, essentially, and it was about how you can become better at breathing. And it seemed to be backed up by legitimate science, actual scientists, respected scientists. It wasn't, it, I like spiritual books as much as the next person, but it didn't get out there and say, you'll you'll solve all your problems if you just breathe this way. It was a, a, particularly about curbing anxiety, which is something that I contend with because I drink five pots of caffeine a day and make up scary shit. Um, it led me to an app called Breath Work. And because Millennials, I think, think this is cute. There is no O in work. It's breath work. I don't know when leaving letters out of words became trendy and exciting, but we've worked with companies that do it. It's very annoying. Our hosting service, Blueberry, does it. It's annoying. Anyway, the app, though, is great. And what it is, is it's you can pick certain breath patterns and there is a, a visual display that sort of swells and contracts on the inhale and the exhale so you can sort of watch it and there is something in there called box breathing which is popular with navy seals which is when you inhale hold briefly and then exhale for the same amount of time all of this is about regulating the oxygen and the carbon dioxide in your blood and um, it's been proven to work some of it relaxes you some of it energizes you like a little jolt of coffee it has been absolutely instrumental for me during this time and i highly recommend it i think the app might be free and in all honesty the book 
and the two are not, I, I don't think they're from the same people, but the book has enough, it's not that complicated to figure out how to do this stuff. It says, it, so the book lays out some breath patterns just by counts and inhale and exhale. I think the biggest takeaway from the book overall is that it is a lot better for us to inhale through our noses. It's just healthier that mouth breathing got a bad rap for a reason, that we actually have filtration <laughs> devices inside our nostrils, that they're sensitive organs that contract and they're, you know, whatever. And breathing in through our mouth is just taking in gulps of unfiltered, raw, whatever the hell we're breathing, you know, is floating in the air around us, whereas our nose actually does some work Sounds on like our Sounds like a new opportunity for anxiety, Christopher. It is. It all, well, that all, everything is, though. Every opportunity for self-improvement is a new opportunity for anxiety. So anyway, that was my... <laughs> was that my three or was that my two? That was two. Okay, that's two. Okay, great. So, Eric Shaw Quinn, it's time for your number one. Well, my number one is, um, is, is a two-parter. Um, I am incredibly, uh, I really, really am grateful that you bought a trampoline, um, <laughs> this year because as a result of it, I was trying to get back to my walks, but you know, once I got a formidable enough mask to go to convince myself it was safe to go outside, they then began burning down the state. And so the air quality was so terrible that you couldn't go outside because you couldn't breathe. Even with a mask, um, it was still um, risky air quality outside. So I was I went to look at Christopher's um, mini trampoline as a means of um, of maybe getting some exercise for myself, although I couldn't quite see how that would work for me because I don't have the high ceilings and low floors that he does. But um, also I was thinking the neighbors would probably try and kill me. And I discovered in the process that they make small fold-away treadmills. Mm -hmm. um, not that expensive either, right? Not that expensive. A couple of hundred dollars, so not giving them away. But I got a treadmill that's small enough to fit in my um, little apartment. And I have been doing 10,000 steps a day. And this is the other side of that thing that I was my, at the beginning, mm -hmm. the keto diet discovery. I have been losing weight, um, but I've also been able to get the exercise. I love it. I, because I, you can watch yesterday, I watched two hours of television and was exercising the entire time or, mm -hmm. you know, I can do another activity. It's not just, I have to cut out a day, an activity for my day. I can actually accomplish other things. But if I, I was thinking about it, if I could spend the time that I spend watching Rachel Maddow and the evening news and the things that I usually watch, that's enough time to get 10,000 steps in, um, mm -hmm. on, on the treadmill. So I've been doing 10,000 steps a day. And in the two or so months that I've had it, two or three months that I've had it, I've been losing, you know, three to five pounds a month. So it's... Yeah. And this is just walking that you're doing, right? You're not running. You're not no, jogging. It's not no. uphill. You're just walking. I mean, it's, it's a brisk walk. I keep a brisk pace and the, the treadmill keeps you honest about it. You don't slack off. But yeah, so my number one thing for this year, the thing that I've loved the most discovering this year, which I don't think I would have if it hadn't been for this terrible, horrible, no good year, is my treadmill. 
Excellent. What about your number one, Christopher? I'm back to entertainment, and I'm going to say my number one thing this year was Noah Jupe's performance in The Undoing. He played Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant's son. Uh, this actor is phenomenal. He's one of the best child actors to come along in years. He's in everything now. He was in Ford versus Ferrari. He's British. I don't know if you knew that. So he's a young child completely with a flawless American accent when he does these performances. He was... I, I I was a fan of The Undoing. It doesn't quite make my favorite things of 2020 or the pandemic. Wow, but it's another but reason this to performance, love streaming television. I just, this performance was just remarkable. There's something else that he was in. I think he played a silent child or he's in A Quiet Place. I think that was really his breakout role. He's one of the kids in A Quiet Place and he does oh, yeah. an amazing job because nobody in A Quiet Place can talk. Otherwise, aliens will eat them. That's the premise of the movie. So yeah, just one of the, I just absolutely, the number one, just I thought it was fantastic and riveting and I want to see more of him. I think he's going to be a Jodie Foster. I think he's going to have a career that goes into adulthood. Noah Jupe, The Undoing, number one. Yeah. And the and big props to The Undoing. What a fun show. Yeah. That was a, yeah, it was that very was a fun. really great streaming experience. Streaming TV, I swear to God, it has saved more lives than mm-hmm. or as many lives as Remdesivir. It is really a godsend in this day and age. I, can you imagine having to do this year without the internet? No, I, no, no. I no. just, I think that people would have completely lost their minds. And absolutely, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It is really for like, all of I, 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 I wish us the pandemic on us. I'm certainly glad that it happened at this moment and not another one. And I, for all the crap that I give it, or for all the misgivings I have, let's say about my sometimes compulsive use of it and doom scrolling, social media was also really key for a lot of people this year because it was how they stayed connected with other people. You know, and, it yeah. was just and how to yeah. yeah Zoom, I guess, and all of that. Yeah, it has really been. It has been another another big shout out for uh, the wonderful benefits of big government. Without big government, there would be no internet. Really? So if you're a big fan of small government, think of life without the internet. Yeah, Because that's absolutely. what you'd be doing. <laughs> right. Um, and of course, every we left off our, our list, uh, the results of the presidential election. But, you know, that's fodder for another episode, maybe. We're back next week with True Crime TV Club. We are returning <laughs> with a, an episode of And We Have Done That. We do this show a lot around the holidays because it's called homicide for the holidays and they have an episode entitled bloody new years that's it's season two episode eight it is what we will be serving up for you on the next episode of this podcast and in my game show announcer voice as eric shaw quinn likes to call it i want to remind you that it is absolutely not a requirement that you watch the episode before you listen to ours our job is to serve it up for you in such scathing and sometimes salacious detail that you feel as if you watched it and you don't have to and of course this is the time to quote the Cindy Conforti rule, who said on our Facebook page that she once made the mistake of watching the show and right. she would never do it again because it was not as entertaining as our version of it. Thank you, Cindy. We love you. Your check is in the mail for that endorsement. We are a lot of fun. Let me say this, too, no before we close out this yeah. episode. None of these were paid endorsements. We don't. We're no. not there yet. We don't do Although, that on our podcast. If somebody wants to pay us for them, we would be happy to accept <laughs> the money. But yeah, these were not advertisements or uh, paid endorsements. No, of any no, kind. Yeah, okay. These are just things that we just happen to love. All right. Well, until next time and forever after, as we now say, I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. 
Happy New Year. This is TDPS.